0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, as I mentioned, (coughs) just finished doing, um, helping lead a a month-long retreat Actually, it's a two-month retreat, uh, but uh, I was there for the first month with the uh, um, great team of um, Guy Armstrong and Sally Clough and uh, Sylvia Borstein and, and Gil Fronsdell. Uh And uh, now there's the second month with uh, Jack Cornfield and Eugene Cash and... Um, Anna Douglas, and Marie Manchatz, and um, Robert Hall, and Philip Moffat is there for uh, half of the time. So there's about uh, 20 people who are there for the whole two months. Uh, There were 80 there for um, uh, the first month Uh, Well, actually, there were about 60 there for the first month and about 20 who were there for two weeks, 25 for two weeks, followed by another 25 um, uh, for the second two weeks. And I had just a great time. Um, In fact, we all, the, the teachers, just felt like Continuing, we had to kind of be almost shoved out the door. Not quite. <laughs> Other than than missing, uh, you know, being with my my wife and my son, uh, although we checked in every every night, we get a day off each uh, each week. Um, it just was fabulous, and uh, I'm here tonight, first to mainly to talk about how much I love this practice and how amazed I am by it and just just how amazed I am by it I've been doing this practice since 1974 and, uh, doing retreats since that time and teaching oh for about 20 years and every time I do it it's just um, indescribable um, how every time when I lead a retreat, especially one that can go on for some time where people can, can go deep, um, it just awes me how the practice works. It really works. And if there's one thing I I hope to convey to you, particularly if you haven't done a retreat before, if you have the inclination and the opportunity, do it. You know, like Nike says, you know, just do it. The first few days settling in especially if people haven't done it before and their body is kind of achy or their mind is really busy and it doesn't seem like they'll ever be able to notice a breath or the energy is really low and you're feeling like you're falling asleep all the time and you're just kind of going like this and the nods and you say, what am I doing here? Or another moment, there's a real restlessness, one moment of sleepiness followed by a moment of restlessness, and you're thinking, you know, I was just asleep a moment ago, and now I feel like I'm so antsy, and then you fall asleep. You know. The first few days, it's the question if you haven't done this before, is why? Why would anybody put themselves through this? Mm. Now, I just want to say that if you do a day long, or you do a weekend retreat, here's the mysterious thing. It has a cycle of its own. So, not to think that a weekend is just gonna be, you know, three days of useless frustration. A lot can happen in a weekend, and I've been teaching weekends for many, many years. There's something about going into the deeper levels that, um, that also, that settling in period, for most people, takes about three days give or take a day or two. And then something amazing starts to happen. One, it's actually possible to be mindful. It's not just a good idea, a line that that people tell you. (laughs) It actually is possible to feel the breath, notice a sound, be with a sensation, and for there to be stretches of presence. The energy starts to pick up. It takes a little while to get in touch with your own energy because we're so used to operating on busyness. This is still a little bit of a range. Hold on. Maybe this will... Okay. Um, there's... Uh, there's the energy that we're used to operating on out of the, the sheer stimulation that when you come to retreat, not much is happening, and so it seems like somebody's pulled the plug. You know, not a whole lot of entertainment. But after a while, you get in touch with your, your own resource of energy, and you see that it's vast, the energy that's available to you, particularly if you're... Um, Uh, As you become more connected, your mind isn't reacting so much to wanting, not wanting, or past or future. And there is a greater resource of energy just because you're more connected to the present. And it's not uncommon for people's sleep needs to be quite uh, diminished. In fact, it's one of the my personal main incentives for being mindful. I just get fascinated by and amazed by the fact that I can go on a whole lot less sleep than I normally could. So it gives me real incentive, okay, every moment I'm going to be mindful as best I can because it's so, so unusual. It's one little game I play with myself. So the energy picks up and you're actually able to start being still for a while and as you're more present you see more as you see more things become more interesting you can see a whole lot of things that it's like you know when you're when you look at a a a drop of pond water not much is happening, but you look under a, a microscope and it's like, wow, there's a whole world in there? And you get very um, drawn to looking at a drop of water. Now, if somebody asked you what you were doing, you say, oh, I'm looking at a, a drop of water. If you were looking with the naked eye, you know, well, so what's the big deal? But when you see that whole mysterious show inside, it's quite fascinating. In the same way, as you can see more, both in the movement of the mind and in the nature of reality, it's quite compelling, and you want to pay more attention. And then you see that every moment there's a show going on. And the more you see, the more you understand. It's like life is inviting you to discover it, to pay attention to this mystery that is continually creating. And you also see all the things that get in the way of your ability to pay attention, like your wants, or your fears, or your um, confusions, or your joys, or your attachments. All of those things that get in the way, which might seem like bad news, are actually the very thing that helps you wake up from your confusion. Because until you see the ways that you get caught, you're at the, the mercy of those habits. But as you see them in a very supportive environment where you are practicing a kindness, a kind awareness, you start to develop a different relationship, little by little, with all of those places that we're reluctant to touch. And also what is seen is besides this being your particular predicament or problem, especially hearing a talk each evening that, you know, invariably people say, well, you gave that talk for me. That was just what I was going through. Not realizing that in one form or another, everybody is going through a similar process. There might be differences in the the curve of the ride, of the roller coaster, But it's all about learning to be, to open up to the roller coaster ride and see you're not trying to get anywhere, but just being here for the changing ride. And you start to see that as you understand this more, this body and mind process more, you're learning about the universal situation that we're all in. And there's a a real softening and opening of the heart that allows us to feel connected with others in a in a quite unique way. This was I came across this quote from William James. Our ordinary waking consciousness is but one form of consciousness. All around us lie infinite worlds separated only by the thinnest veils. And what a retreat allows is for us to see through those veils and then appreciate the world that we're in, that we're playing in. And you get to play in your life instead of taking it so seriously as if it were the only, the only game in town. And there's a little bit more ease and lightness uh, as you go back and live your life. <clears throat> So, I'm here first to tell you the good news that this stuff really works. And it's, it's, it's quite an honor and privilege to see people go through transformation, and they do. It's not just, oh my goodness, somebody really got it. It's everybody in their own way learns just what they need to learn because that's how the Dharma works you know when we say I take refuge in the Dharma I take refuge in the truth we're saying that really we are trusting that life is giving us everything we need in this moment to wake up if we can listen carefully if we can keep an open heart and an open mind Every moment counts. And there's uh, there's this one line that I I think I've quoted here before that I love from Be Here Now. Ram Dass says, the next message you hear will be the next message you hear. (laughs) But the messages are happening all the time. And as you start to tune in, you see every moment you're given just what you need. And transformation takes place. When people come in to interview. You know, if you haven't done a retreat before, you you check in every other day for about fifteen minutes. Uh, you can always uh, check in more if uh, if it's if there's a need. But at least every other day for fifteen minutes, and you're completely there's no place to hide. You know, you're so happy to speak to somebody. Probably, you know that you're usually you want to share what's going on, but all the armoring is down, um, and in that safe environment, to be witnessed and understood and have clarification for places that you might get be getting caught. Um, in that openness with the armoring down, there's a kind of malleability that can take place within your being. So, uh, it, it, one after another, one person after another, you're, you're just, it's such a privileged, privileged position to, to see people's process and, and go through it with them. In fact, Um, I'm going to go on Saturday. Uh, Guy and I, uh, who's not teaching the second retreat, he lives right across from Spirit Rock, I said, hey, how about hanging out and then we can go over to the retreat and just kind of uh, check in with with people. He said, yeah, I was thinking about that too. (coughs) But it's just an awesome process to to be a witness to. The Buddha says... Actually, I'll share a few things from the Buddha. There is a most wonderful way to help living beings realize purification, overcome directly grief and sorrow, end pain and anxiety, travel the right path, and realize complete freedom. This way is... The Four Establishments of Mindfulness. And that's what all Buddhist meditation is based on. That discourse on how we can actually become mindful and how mindfulness works. I want to talk a bit about mindfulness tonight. And uh, particularly I want to share with you uh, another uh, teaching from the Buddha. One, by the way, one of the things that we did with uh, this retreat, we, we started this last year as well, is uh, each night the talk uh, that uh, whoever was giving the talk um, gave was based on some um, discourse, some sutta from the Buddha. So at least we knew that people were getting something that was Straight from the Buddha, and then we would elaborate. Um, but I wanted to read to you from the the Sutta called "One Fortunate Attachment." Isn't that interesting? The Buddha talked about attachment. Oh, this is a good attachment. And in fact, it's uh, this is from the Majjhima Nikaya, the Middle Length Discourses of the Buddha. This is the only sutta that I'm aware of, or the only passage, I should say, from uh, uh, the Buddha in the suttas, that not only is it in one discourse, but it is in four discourses, one after another. Number 131, called One Fortunate Attachment... Number 132. There's 152 in this, uh, this collection of middle length. Ananda and one fortunate attachment. 133, Mahakachana and one fortunate attachment. And 134, Loma Sakangiya and one fortunate attachment. And basically, these four discourses are all excuses... To give this passage over and over the first in the second one, Ananda, the, the Buddha's uh, um, attendant, repeats basically the same thing that that the Buddha uh, says, and in the third one, um, there's this uh, this quandary where some monks forget what was said. Uh, Bhikkhu, do you remember the summary and exposition of one who has one fortunate attachment friend I do not remember the summary and exposition but friend do you remember the summary I too do not remember the summary and exposition friend I don't remember it either you know and it goes on and then finally they find somebody who who does and then they give it and the same thing happens in number 134 so uh, it's not like you're getting a you know, an elaboration or a deeper teaching. It's just these guys keep on forgetting this and it gives a chance for this passage to be read. Bhikkhus, which means monks or practitioners, I shall teach you the summary and exposition of one who has one fortunate attachment. Now remember, Listen and attend closely to what I shall say. Yes, venerable sir, the bhikkhus replied. Then the Buddha said this. Let not a person revive the past or on the future build their hopes. For the past has been left behind and the future has not yet been reached. Instead, with insight, let them see each presently arisen state. Let them know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today, the effort must be made. Tomorrow death may come who knows no bargain with mortality can keep him, can keep them and can keep him and his hordes away death but one who dwells thus ardently relentlessly relentlessly the word they use by day by night is is one The peaceful sage has said, Who has one fortunate attachment? Don't go into the future, don't go into the past, just be here now. This is Tikkad Han's translation. Of it. Do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is. The future has not yet come. Looking deeply at life as it is, in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. We must be diligent today. To wait until tomorrow is too late. Death comes unexpectedly how can we bargain with it the sage calls a person who knows how to dwell in mindfulness night and day one who knows the better way to live one fortunate attachment so he's basically saying if you've got to be attached to something it's the buddha be attached to mindfulness Now, eventually, he said, once you cross the river to the other shore, you have to let go of everything, including your attachment to mindfulness. Although, you won't stop being mindful. Because when you've crossed to the other shore, one definition of one who has crossed to the other shore completely awakened is that you are awake. So you're not saying... Oh my goodness! I have to keep with this mindfulness. It just becomes the expression of who you are, and the attachment is um, is extra. Here's another um, another ode to mindfulness uh, that is a bit more earthy and poetic. This is uh, from Nyoshal Kempo. This is a great book, Natural Great Perfection. Uh, The Vajra Mirror of Mindfulness. Vajra is something that cuts through confusion, just cuts through um, with like the sword of Manjushri, cutting through delusion. This is his way of saying it. Homage to the sovereign king within... Self-Arising Mindfulness. I am the Vajra of mindfulness. Look, Vajra friends, when seeing me be mindful. I am the mirror of mindfulness. I mirror your careful attention. Look clearly, moment by moment, and see directly into the very essence of mind. Mindfulness is the root of dharma. Mindfulness is the body of practice. Mindfulness is the fortress of the mind. Mindfulness is the aid to the wisdom of innate wakefulness. Mindfulness is the support of Mahamudra, mudra, maha ati, Dzogchen, and madhyamaka. Those are other Tibetan practices. Lack of mindfulness will allow the negative forces to overcome you. Without mindfulness, you will be swept away by laziness. Lack of mindfulness is the creator of evil deeds. Without mindfulness and presence of mind, nothing can be accomplished. Lack of mindfulness piles up lots of shit. Without mindfulness, you sleep in an ocean of piss. This is the Tibetan style. Without mindfulness, you are a heartless zombie, a walking corpse. Dear Dharma friends, please be mindful. By the aspiration of the holy lamas, buddhas, bodhisattvas, and lineage masters, may all Vajra friends attain stable mindfulness and ascend the throne of perfect awakening. You kind of get the picture. This is fairly important. And the thing is, it's such a seemingly simple, no-big-deal kind of a thing. Just notice what's happening. Just, as they told us when we were little kids, just pay attention, (laughs) pay attention. That's the secret. Pay attention with a kindness, with a kind heart. Not a big deal. Just sitting here, feeling your breath come in and knowing that you're breathing. Lifting your foot and knowing you're lifting it. Placing it and knowing you're placing it. Eating and tasting your food and knowing you're swallowing it as uh, Manindraji, who is uh, Joseph Goldstein's teacher and one of my teachers, would say, he said, if you sit and know that you're sitting, the whole of the Dharma is revealed. I mean, how, how much more simple can you get? Just sit and know you're sitting. As we know, it's easier said than done, but that is it, That's, it's so simple and it amazes me how when we train ourselves to simply notice what's going on, it's like life, the universe is calling us, please see the sacredness, please enjoy the mystery. Please awaken to the truth of things. Please let the heart be truly free. And all we need to do is pay attention to life. And here we are. Now, I've been talking up till now about retreat experience. I want to bring it to our reality out here. Because, for one, you can't live your life on retreat. And, and even monks and or, and, or nuns uh, are dependent on uh, on the uh, lay people for alms rounds. Well, somebody can uh, <coughs> just shake. Who's ever Who's there? there? Upstairs? Uh, hello. <laughs> even, uh, even monks and nuns can't live in caves, and they're dependent on, on lay people for support. Um, so it's rare that you get a chance to live a long time. Uh, independent in just doing intensive practice. Milarepa did it for a number of years in a cave. I think he was in a cave for, what, about 10 years or so. <clears throat> Lived on nettles, you know. <laughs> Turned green, <laughs> his skin was green, you know. didn't, took what he, what he got. <clears throat> but for most of us, um, we are not going to be living on retreat. And retreat is a very special situation that not everybody is able to do maybe you're not maybe you have a you know you're you're raising uh, one or two kids and it's going to be 15 years before you you get to to really go on a long retreat as as the nest is emptied um, so i don't want to say that retreats are the only way i do want to say if you get a chance do it But there's more to practice than just sitting on retreat. And in fact, uh, what what is developed on retreat is a very particular kind of mindfulness, a precise mindfulness, which is summed up as bare attention, where you're simply noticing what's happening in this moment and then what's happening in this moment and what's happening in this moment. And sometimes you've got a wide lens that that takes in your experience, say, on an emotional level. Oh, right now there's sadness, or right now there's confusion, or right now there's walking through through a path. And sometimes in very fine, much more refined kind of lens where you're noticing subtle, sensations in the body. But that kind of bare attention is a very specific training that then one applies to the rest of one's life. It's like sharpening the the mindfulness on a very precise, like a, on a sharpening stone, a wedding stone, and then you can apply it to the rest of your life. The... Um, complement to that refined attention, which we practice out in our daily life, is um, what is called clear comprehension, which really means rather than being so refined and so uh, detailed, you get the context in which you're operating you know, as uh, as Ramdas puts it, it's good to know your zip code while you're lifting your foot. You know, <laughs> because you can get so tuned in. Oh yes, lifting, moving, placing, and not realize. Oh, red light. Okay, uh, can't go on. So you want to have also a wide angle to take in your experience, and clear comprehension is. Um, is the teaching on having a wider perspective with which to be mindful, and I'll, I'll mention briefly. I've mentioned it uh, before. Maybe I'll go into more detail uh, at, at another time. The uh, four different aspects of clear comprehension that you might keep in mind. Oh, and I'll I'll read. Uh, this is a, a wonderful book called The Heart of Buddhist Meditation by. Uh, a um, very brilliant and clear writer, Jnana Tara, which is uh, a book that's based on that Satipatthana Sutta, about that one way to overcome sorrow and lamentation, the the discourse on mindfulness, and it's the the fullest exposition on that Sutta. But he says, this might be of comfort to you, bear attention can generally be maintained only during a limited time of ordinary life, apart from periods expressly given to its application, like on retreat. Every hour of the day demands some activity by deed, word, or thought. First, there are numerous demands for bodily activity or movement, be it only that a change of posture becomes necessary, We have also again and again to abandon the protection and self-sufficiency of silence and enter into relationship with others through speech. And the mind, too, cannot avoid defining its position to itself and to the outer world as you're in relationship and issuing orders for action innumerable times during the day. Mind has to choose to decide and to judge. It is clear comprehension sampajanya, the second aspect of right mindfulness which is concerned with that greater part of our life, the active one. It is one of the aims of the practice of satipatthana that clear comprehension should gradually become the regulative force of all of our activities, bodily, verbal, and mental. So these four aspects of clear comprehension. One is clear comprehension of purpose. And what that means is, and I've mentioned this particular clear comprehension a number of times, having a sense of what your vision is, what really inspires you, having a purpose for doing this practice. It might be to open up the heart. It might be to become fully free. It might be to come to some understanding of suffering and the possibility of the end of suffering. It might be to be as wise as you can. Whatever your motivation, uniquely yours, that truly motivates you, your overarching inspiration for practice, that is your clear comprehension of purpose. It's very similar to having a clear intention. And once you have that, then you are moved to practice from your heart, not just because it's a seemingly useful homework assignment. Oh, yeah, they said mindfulness is good. Okay, I'll try to be mindful. It's got to come from here, right in here. You've got to be really motivated to wake up, because everything conspires for you to fall asleep. And it's it's not easy. It's work. You start to get a sense, when you taste it, how, how worthwhile it is. But until it comes from here, it just seems like a very bizarre exercise or maybe a, something that is intriguing but probably i would guess everybody here well has to have been touched enough in order to spend a thursday night and come here and want to sit together you you all we all have that that germ of true, sincere motivation. And it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger as you're more touched by the power of the practice. And you you want to. It's like a moth to a flame. You just are compelled at some point, even when you when you wish you'd rather, you rather, you know, it's too much of a bother. You know, God, why don't I ever get into this? Ignorance was bliss, you know. But at some point, there's no choice. As uh, somebody once said to uh, a Trungpa Rinpoche once said to uh, one person about embarking on the spiritual journey. He said, um, "The spiritual journey is fraught with hardship and challenges, and so one should think very seriously before one embarks on this journey. But once entered upon, it is best to complete it." <clears throat> <laughs> So that's the first one, clear comprehension of purpose. A second clear comprehension is what's called clear comprehension of suitability. Which means that this is really about knowing your zip code, where you have to see the circumstance that you're in and get a sense of the appropriateness for your actions. You're not going to go lifting, moving, placing as you know, you're know. you going down Market Street in San Francisco. You know, well, <laughs> Telegraph Avenue, you might get away with it. But for most, most other places, you, don't, you want to be a more natural pace, for instance. Or you're not going to be able to feel the breath. Very subtly when you're um, when you're walking briskly down the street, so you want to get a sense of what your context is and how you can best be mindful in the situation that you're in and that also um, acknowledges the fact that it's not always possible to be mindful in the way that we think we should be mindful. You know, As you're engaged, for instance, in, a, um, uh, in your job, and you've got to process information. If you have some uh, training, it's possible to stay grounded in your body from time to time to check in. But it would be very difficult to be reading and as you're going down the page be noticing reading, 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 you know, and being with the process instead of the content. The words won't get in. So you have to know when it's appropriate to just put down that kind of um, intention to be mindful in that way. So a clear comprehension of suitability. The third clear comprehension is what is called clear comprehension of the domain of meditation. And what that really means is seeing, instead of having practice being part of your life, having your life be held in the context of practice. That is, whatever you do, is done when you're in touch with that clear comprehension of purpose and suitability. Whatever you're, you do is done in the spirit of awakening. And that will also um, uh, be, be an ongoing exercise to remember how you're learning in this moment. Whatever whatever you're in, whatever moment you're finding yourself in, if you have that intention to wake up, then that is being held in the the container of practice. And then the last clear comprehension is clear comprehension of reality. And what that means is clear comprehension, understanding, seeing through the illusion of self. And this is something that as you touch often in deeper practice experiences, but not exclusively, you see this idea of who you think you are is is just an idea. And starting to relate to yourself not as something separate, but as the process of life that moves Through you and moves you, uh, you hold yourself, you relate to yourself in a whole different way. And the more and more you can have that perspective, have that frame of reference within which your life moves, uh, the freer you are. So when you touch those places to come back again and again and, and nourish them, these are some of the supports for mindfulness practice, and I'll just end, if I can find it here. Yes, with uh, just a, a couple of more um, poems from Robert Hall about the predicament that we're in in our daily lives and. The possibility of being present. This is called leaning forward. That's really where we get caught. Leaning forward and rushing. It's the transitions that we get confused. Leaning forward. When I lean forward to escape the everything is as it is here, I feel strain in my heart where real life lives. Straining and thinking I must do something, but thinking is not enough. What is here is obvious to anyone who slows down, enough to drop through a hole in time, into vast space, relaxation, peaceful mind that sputters to a stop for just a moment. A mind that speaks without voice, believes nothing, and realizes in this ordinary moment we are all here, even when we look for a chance to escape. Another, I'm in a hurry, this is called. I have so much to do, important tasks to cross off my list, an endless need to accomplish. If I continue without awareness, if I keep speeding along my groove, always looking into the distant future for what awaits to be done, then I will never have to wake up covered by dark thoughts of death and meaningless work. There is a hummingbird caught in the skylight. She tries to fly towards the light. She beats herself against the glass until she falls from fatigue. And then one last one, just a short passage. His Ode to Presence. Here is the place of glory where the source of all things bursts into full bloom and drops its seeds everywhere. Here is the time of awakening, a distant drum beating cadence, calling us out of ourselves to be here. Here's where it's at. And here it is in vibrant moment. So uh, we have just a few minutes. If there's any questions or comments, then we'll end with a loving kindness in, in a few moments. Anything? thank you Uh, you spoke at one point about not reviving the past and that's something that I've had a lot of trouble with lately Um, I spent a lot of time especially if uh, oops, just went out Hold, you might have to hold it uh, with you. might how, <laughs> oh. <laughs> how about standing up if you're brave? Thanks, Karen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean mm. Mm-hmm, mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it a particular memory? A particular pa- memory. A mm-hmm. particular trouble that I've had, or a particular mm-hmm. uh, w- One. Uh, one way to work with particular themes, mm-hmm. as uh, Jack Hornfield calls it, the the top ten tunes that might be going on in your mind, um, and we usually have, you know, one or two or three. Things, Stuff that seems like, oh my God, I'll never get through this one until the next few tunes pop on the jukebox. Um, just like on retreat, you don't need to get rid of anything. And the more you're bothered by it, the more life and energy you're feeding it. You say, oh God, i got to... Get this out of my head. This is driving me crazy. You're just giving it more and more life. But, one, to realize, to be mindful of that habit of just noticing you're going back in the past. One way is to simply say as best you can in the kindest voice possible, remembering remembering because you, you're wanting to just notice that that process just like when you can some people uh, are more planning, planning or rehearsing, rehearsing, to just simply know oh that's that's where the mind is going. But with particular theme, uh, it's very helpful to give it a thought uh, give it a name to frame it, you know work thoughts. You know, or relationship thoughts or whatever it is, sometimes I find it's particularly helpful to give it a light name, a humorous name so I'm not getting so caught in it, you know, oh Wanda Warrior or something like that, oh there's Wanda Warrior or there's, you know uh, uh, whatever you, you call it but just to get some lightness around it because what, what happens is the thought comes up we jump on the train, and then we're completely in the movie, and it seems so real, and then we can get worked up, angry, frustrated, frightened, whatever it is. But if you see that it's a movie, oh, it's it's just that tune playing, then you've got a little bit more, a lot more chance to work with it as practice, as just this way that the mind... Is inclined towards going there, so that's that's one thing that I would certainly re- recommend. Get a name for it, name it, and say it in a very kind, light tone. Something else that the Buddha recommends, if you're if you can't be mindful of it, is to turn your attention elsewhere. What he calls forgetfulness and inattention, where you just are, um, you're paying attention to something else in your field. You know whether it's going out in nature and paying attention to that. Now your thoughts might still be there; they'll probably be running. But if you're inclining the mind towards something else that's that's nourishing, uh, that can help you get some space, um, as well as doing a substitute of a wholesome kind of thought, like metta or thinking of something in your past that was fantastic, or that was you know, that's really uh, um, inspiring, or some, some, some wholesome thought for the unwholesome, you know, metta, or uh, faith, something that gives you faith. Those are some ways to work with it. But the main thing is not to feel discouraged or defeated because your mind goes there. Because if it's not that one... You know, this is Joseph Goldstein's main contribution to 20th century Dharma. He says, if it's not one thing, it's another. (laughs) So it's not so much that, oh, well, when I get rid of that one, then I'll be okay. Although some have a way of plaguing us and we get in in a groove. But just note, you're looking at the habit of mind, the way the mind works, rather than getting frustrated by the content that it goes in. Okay. Uh, it's okay. okay. A source for Tibetan Buddhism. A source for Tibetan Buddhism. Actually, there's a new book that just came out that I've heard great things about by Reginald Ray. And I forget the title. Anybody know the title? Um, it's just come out, and it's a great overview of Tibetan Buddhism. R-A-Y, Reginald Ray. I I forget it. I can't think of it now. Okay, um, so let's let's close with a loving kindness. I'm sorry I don't have more time for questions, but next week we'll be doing lots of uh, dialogue. So allow yourself to just be present for one more moment. This could be the last moment of mindfulness for the week, so (laughs) no, let's hope it's not. Just get a sense of how good it feels to just be here. Nothing to do, just feel life moving through you and relax into that. And then feel your heart, your heart center. And breathe in benevolent energy from around you. Fill your whole being with that energy. And then breathe out through your heart, surrounding yourself with this good energy and extending outwards. And sending some thoughts of kindness to yourself. May I have happiness in my life. May I have real peace inside May I feel the love that's inside and share it well. May I be happy. And then extend these thoughts out from your own heart to include everyone here and continue to radiate out to all beings near and far in all directions. As I want happiness, may all beings be happy. As I want peace, may all have peace in their lives. as I want love, may all be touched by power of loving-kindness. May all beings everywhere be happy, and may we share any love or wisdom or merit that we develop here together tonight with all beings everywhere. Thank you. Have a great week. See you next week. talk was given by James Barris at Berkeley Sitting Group on March 8, 2001. It is an offering of the Dharma Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.